Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. My name is Dennis, and today Kevin and I are joined by Philip Werner. Philip is a full time outdoor author and backpacker. He lives in New England. He loves backpacking, but also considers himself a compulsive day hiker, peak bagger, and bushwhacker. His website, sectionhiker.com, is regarded as one of the foremost blogs for hiking and backpacking. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Uh, Phil Werner, welcome to the Seek Outside podcast. Oh, hey, thanks. Nice to be here. Cool. And uh, Kevin... Kevin's around too. Uh, just yep. for everybody that that's listening, Kevin and I are in the same building. We're in different rooms though, uh, keeping that social distancing up even into June 2020. So, yeah, how you doing, Philip? Oh, really good, really good. Little little uh, cloudy out today, so I'm hanging out inside, working a little bit. Taking a yeah, break. Where are you located, Philip? Where 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 you at? I'm uh, just outside. Uh, North Conway, New Hampshire, uh, right smack in the middle of the White Mountain National Forest. So an East Coast really guy. Nice. You, might, you might be the first East Coast guy we've had on the podcast, besides Nathan, I guess, if you consider Tennessee to be the east side of the world. Yeah. It's a Middle uh, East. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how? So Philip, you run the website uh-huh. Section Hiker. Um, uh-huh. how, did, how did Section Hiker start? How, um, what was the impetus for starting that? Well, uh, you, you know, it, uh, I'll tell you the truth. I, I used to be in the software industry and, um, my, uh, boss at the time said, Hey, uh, there's this new, uh, blogging platform called WordPress. Why don't you go figure it out and see if we can make any products with it. <laughs> so. I uh, I uh, set up a, a, a WordPress blog and started blogging about uh, uh, a hike I was doing on the Log Trail in Vermont, and um, I just started blogging, <laughs> and it in- sort of evolved into kind of a first-class website after ten years or so. So, kept just kept it up found i liked it what year was that uh i started the website in 2007 uh and um i uh let's see in in 2010 i quit my job actually i left the software industry altogether and uh decided that i would uh, go full-time on section hiker and just live off uh, the website. Did you have to change your standard of living? I mean, did you go from a mansion to like a <laughs> van? Or oh or... yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely had to had to live on savings for a couple of years, uh, and and just build up the audience and the content and stuff. But that de- definitely took a serious serious hit. But you know, we, we've we've always lived. My wife and I have always lived pretty frugally. We don't have kids. And uh, so we had some savings. It was okay. And she she had faith in my ability to sort of, you know, either make it or fall back on my previous uh, job history. So and so we just made it work. So do you have like a timeline that you say like you got three years 
and you're getting a real job again, buddy, or or was it a little more open ended? It was a little bit more open ended than, than that. I really, really, really got sick of working for other people who, you know, ultimately would just stab you in the back uh, their first chance. So um, I, I really wanted to uh, run my own, you know, uh, sort of company, which still only has one person, me. But um, uh, so I just decided to make it work. I worked my ass off. <laughs> so, so you just, you, you kind of hit on an important thing. You said run your own company. I mean, I went through kind of the same thing. I used to be a security researcher at one point. Um, uh-huh. And I want to do my own thing. So it was kind of the same, same deal. Um, my wife was quite nervous when I said, well, I'm taking a break from the real, real job stuff. Right. But I found right. what we do much, much more rewarding. Now, were you always in the White Mountains of New Hampshire or at one point were you in Boston or some metro and you, then you were able to move to a more rural location? Uh, just that. I, I, uh, when I was working, I was working in the Boston-Cambridge area uh, in Massachusetts. And um, w- we actually moved up here about three years ago. Uh, and it, it mainly, <laughs> I just really, really got sick of traffic. And I was spending most of my free time up in New Hampshire and Maine anyway, because I love hiking up here. So uh, we just sort of cut the cord and moved up here. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, when I was bootstrapping section hiker, uh, we lived in the Boston area. And I, I, I just would, you know, travel, do a lot of driving and travel up here. And it just made sense just to come up here since I, I pretty much like going outside every day. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, driving's for the birds. Oh, to- and and Boston traffic just it has gotten to the point where, it, whenever I have to kind of occasionally go down there, I go just sort of homicidal. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, and up here, you know, we have like there's like one stoplight in town, and you know, you drive to the post office. That's the big commute, and so it's just totally mellower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I, I live in a town of 700 people or whatever, right? Or between, yeah. between two towns the same way. And it's there's one stoplight in the county and stuff like that. <laughs> so what is, okay, with Section Hiker, um, when I go there, I see there's reviews, gear lists. Um, what is it that really makes your site tick? What, what brings people coming in? Are they coming in for the education or the gear review? It, it, yeah, the site is dedicated towards education. Um, that's, that's, you know, the central core idea. And, and uh, it's at all levels. It's for very experienced hikers and backpackers as well as beginners. I, I, I really try to um, kind of cater to all audiences as much as possible. And, and the gear reviews are basically educational. <laughs> it's just, I found pretty early on that people were only not really interested in education. They were interested in reviews and I, I just overload them with massive amounts of educational content, um, which people find very helpful as a way, a context in which to learn. 
So that's that's pretty much the underlying philosophy. I mean, I, I, I mean, when I was in software, you know, we would make products that people would buy and not use. <laughs> and, yes. you, you know, and it was like all focused on money and, you know, quarterly revenues and goals and you had MBOs. Stop it. All Stop it. You're taking me back. I know. It was it was all total crap. And and uh, you know, when I when I, I, I told my wife, I was like, I want to do something that I'm proud of, that I'm teaching people stuff, sharing my experience and my uh, the joy I feel outside. And so that's pretty much been my focus. I just stick to that knitting pretty much ignore whatever anyone else does and just do my thing and it, it seems to have gotten pretty sticky you know as <laughs> people come yeah. back well i mean you you're know, one like, you're one of the top sites right when looking for yeah. gear and backpacking kind of stuff you know your, yeah. your site has a lot of authority so yeah and you know like i said i just try to help people and um you know i i think you can you can help people and still make a living. And I'm I'm not really that focused on the living part. It just comes naturally. You know what I mean? And um and, and I I'm pretty good at certain things and, and uh, I try to uh I think one of the things about the website that is uh stands out is there's a high degree of interaction between me and the people who read the website. And so I, I answer lots and lots of questions, both in comments and offline. And I have a lot of readers who pitch in and, and also answer questions. It's a nice community. In, in the name section hiker, is that, I mean, is that from AT? Have you, have you done the AT? Yeah, I, I, I actually started doing the AT, uh, well, I, I guess in 2007 or 2006. And I've hiked uh, about uh, I don't know between 1,400 and 1,500 miles, and and the the story sort of so so I and I've been a section hiker because I had a job <laughs> and couldn't just take off and 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 go. So that you know, but the basic idea I was hiking a section at a time, anywhere from two miles to you know 200. And um, uh, what happened was I eventually got up to New Hampshire and Maine. Uh, and I found that I liked hiking here so much <laughs> that I got stuck. Uh, and I, 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 I may finish the southern portion, the really southern states of the AT at some point, but to tell you the truth, I just, just assume hike up here. It's a lot mm -hmm. harder. It's, you know, very challenging, lots of big mountains and stuff. And, um yeah I've, I've, i have friends up here who i hang out with and i just rather just be up here frankly <laughs> well, so, we, we had so. we had andrew skirka on last week and he's hiked a couple uh -huh. trails um and it was kind of interesting that you know now his last big one that he did was that alaska yukon expedition but now uh -huh. it's like he uh it's hard to get away for more than a couple of weeks with his guiding and all those things. So it's not like he's going out for thousand mile stretches or 6,000 mile hikes or whatever. It's, it's really more in the 150, 200 mile area. Right. And we talked a little bit, cause I've seen Andrew kind of advocate like, 
well, instead of like doing the CDT, why don't you do the really awesome sections of it? Because there's probably some spots, you know, maybe like a third of the trail that's meh, you know, and I would, yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, so last year, I had my wife drop me off at the uh, Mexico border in the spring. And she was probably pretty disappointed when she found out that I made it back. Um, (laughs) But I was curious because, I mean, there's no water down there for 150 miles. I always kind of thought to myself, man, that desert stuff looks really rough, right? And I, I, I live in the San Juans, which is really close to the high section of the CDT where it spends about 200 miles, mostly above tree line. And I've done a good uh-huh. chunk of that. And, you know, I mean, that's awesome. I've also done Middle Fork of the Gila, which is absolutely tremendous as well. Uh, I'm familiar with the Bob Marshall Glacier area. I'm sure that's absolutely beautiful, although I haven't done it. But I was curious, like, okay, without the scenic thing, without water, drinking out of, you know, tires full of green algae yeah. Um, yeah. stuff with cow, dead cows in this pond or whatever. Am I still going to enjoy this? And I came away that I still just enjoyed the the act of it, you know, the, like the being yeah. out there, the solitude, um, a fair amount. Although, I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, I don't I don't feel driven to tell someone I did the CDT, like the whole thing complete. I feel more driven to enjoy the more beautiful sections of it because why waste my time? Um, with areas that I don't find necessarily aesthetically completing, aesthetically pleasing just to say that I did it, right? It's kind of like subjecting yourself to torture and being like, yeah, I did it, you know? Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily feel bad too much about the AT. It, it, it's just, it, you know, it, it takes a huge amount of effort to get down there Right, you know, I've done sections in in Vermont, or rather Virginia, and and it's just it's kind of like, well, why? Anyway, it's just it's just I'd rather be up here. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, how many how many you know, miles how many miles down south? Like how many miles would you have to hike to complete it? Uh, I think like uh, uh, probably seven hundred. Okay. Yeah, and you're like. In- it's like much yeah, and it, well, I have projects that I'm working on up here, right? So, um, you know, I, I wrote a guidebook two years ago for backpacking in the White Mountain National Forest. Um, I'm working on um, a, a guidebook for um, uh, backcountry uh, trout fly fishing. Um, you know, I mean, I really have good time up here, <laughs> and. And, uh, and, and mainly because I'm out there all the time doing these places, and I've hiked quite a few trails up here. I mean, thousands of miles of trails. And um, so, uh, it, I, I don't know, I just enjoy it. It's just kind of the immersive experience. Now, getting back to what Kevin was saying, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm just uh, spoiled, but but every time I go out, I just like being outdoors. I mean, I'm, I'm even happy when we're out harvesting, you know, wood for the fire, fire for the, for the wood stove, you know, I just like working outdoors, being physical outdoors, fishing outdoors, you know what I mean? No, and, 
Yeah, I totally get you. Yeah, it's just uh, it's freedom. I mean, so um, and, and having spent so many years, oh God, in graduate school in front of a computer, it's just it's just uh, so nice to get outside for me, for me, you know. So yeah, I'm 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 kind of uh, stuck in in uh, just the immersion up here. It's you know the winters are great. There's skiing. There's uh, uh more there's winter mountaineering which is really challenging up here so it's it's really just a playground for me yeah at one point i used to do a lot of the 14ers and high peaks in colorado and uh-huh. um finally at one point i mean i live in the san juans which are probably the highest biggest most rugged range in colorado although the elks are pretty uh-huh. rugged and the gores are pretty rugged um, but it was like at one, one day I was like, why do I need to drive over the front range to do kind of a boring talus heap when I got a million beautiful mountains around me, you know, that yeah. are a half hour away. So a- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I still do a lot of trail hiking up here, but, uh, my real passion is off trail. Um, it, and it's, I mean, I'm, I love navigating, uh, you know, by the map or by compass. Um, you know, we all have our devices and stuff, but I like kind of figuring out the best way to get to a trailless peak. Uh, and, and there's, and there's just, you know, there, there are hundreds of mountains all around me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I got kind of check through the lists and stuff like that and, and find interesting places to go. And like I said, you know, for me, the, one of the joys is, you know, just bushwhacking into uh, sort of a hidden area, finding old logging camps and good trout streams, you know, and I could just do that until the cows come home. <laughs> so you recently, if I recall, like within the last year, you've opened up uh-huh. your, your site. You have other reviewers that you're working with quite a bit. Yeah. How Sorry. do you keep... Yeah, how do you keep that whole personality and their preference versus, you know, preference versus reality or versus fact in reviews? Or is it just something that's relatively unavoidable and it's going to happen based on Bob likes packs like this and Joe likes packs that are differently or different? Uh, is there a way to make it more consistent across the board? Yeah, I, I train uh, the people who write for me pretty carefully, and we have a pretty consistent style for how we do reviews. And um, so I coach them on the things to look for, and some of them are, are you know, kind of naturals at it, and some people just need a little bit more guidance about how to do it. Um, so those are, those, all the, all the contributions are pretty heavily edited. Um, uh, by me. So um, just because I think that readers are looking for a certain consistency in the depth and the quality of the reviews. So, uh, and, and people who, who uh, come to write for me, I'm pretty selective, <laughs> um, you, you know, are, are kind of up for getting trained, if you would, on how to do it. So, and, and there are people with all kinds of backgrounds. I mean, I, the reason I did that is there's only so much uh, experience that I have, and a lot of it's very somewhat local. 
um, although I do do some hiking in Europe. Um, and uh, I just felt that there was a, a need for uh, uh, sort of a, a wider range of experience. So we don't, we, I have about a dozen people who, who review for me and, and also write educational content. Um, and uh, so just wanted to sort of, uh, and, and I, I like coaching people and working with other people. So uh, it's a good outlet for me too, as well. Hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. How do you um, how do you decide on products, right? Uh, you know, I I've follow a little bit of your social and stuff, and sometimes there's, you know, it can be anything from like a lightweight pair of gloves, right? Which which you know is is one thing, all the way up to say a backpack or a tent or kind of a full system of things. You know, like how how do you decide what um, what you want to review? Um, and what maybe needs a review? Right. Uh, that's a good question. So uh, first and foremost, if I, generally if I can't use it, I'm not interested. <laughs> so um, you know, we avoid uh, all of the crap out there um, and really focus on on quality products. Um, and um, but but literally, I mean, it, it's pretty much if, if um, you know, I, I can't see myself personally using it, I'm not going to bother. Um, okay. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know what I'm saying? That, that doesn't, I mean, we, we, you know, I have, you know, for example, a, a guy who's working for me who's uh, out in Utah. He's a former search and rescue and a backcountry hunter. So that doesn't necessarily cover, you know, things that, uh Necessarily, I, I I wouldn't necessarily use some of the gear that he uses, but sure. um, so we just we we do things that we're interested in um, that we think are high quality and uh, focus on those. But we a lot of the little crap that people sell, we pretty much ignore. <laughs> sure. So that leads you know. into you are going to start to add some hunting content as well, right? Uh huh. Yeah. And so I've been reaching out with uh, some, uh, you know, certainly we do, you know, work with Seek Outside, but I've been working with uh, Maven and Sitka and other people in the space, just beginning to uh, get into um, products in that space. So, you know, I have a lot of contacts in the manufacturing world since I've been doing this for a while. And uh, some people send us samples and some people, you know, some, some things we buy, um, and we're just building up that content area. I mean, my focus has always been, and still always is, um, getting to places you have to walk to, <laughs> right? And um, so, I mean, that's how I, I basically justify, uh, uh, you know, backpack hunting. Uh, it is uh, there's it uses the same a huge amount of the same skill set as um, hiking and backpacking has all kinds of elements of navigation and judgment and four season travel uh, but it's you know it, it has a huge overlap with hiking and i think there's a lot of insights that both if you would uh, audiences the backpack hunting and the, and the hiking people um, uh, can share and learn from and a, a lot of the readers do both <laughs> so it's kind of a natural fit. 
Agreed. But um, when I have been, when I have had people that want, that are primarily identify as hunters that want uh-huh. to become more backpack or backcountry hunters, I usually tell them, you know, practice backpacking. You got to kind of yeah. figure out what you need, right? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that being said, there's a few differences, um, and we kind of talked about that a little bit with Skirka. Is that when you're hiking or backpacking, you control your route choices more, right? I mean, right. the animal doesn't care if it's super windy and you want to go down. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, they, they don't care. So I mean. You you have you have to treat warmth and things like that um, in a different way. So. Yeah, I, I think I mean that's that's the I really find I'm not I'm not really a hunter I'm more of a fisherman, mm-hmm. um, but w- w- which has some similarities. But but uh, I really actually admire hunters who are out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, cross-country travel and tracking game, and um, I, it's just incredible. But like you said, you you are much more at the mercy of the elements. Uh, you're out for a longer period of time. You can't control your route. Um, you know, you're, it's stop and go. A lot of it's sitting around scouting. I mean, it's just it's it's very different in some ways. Very similar. I find it kind of a fascinating dimension um, that sort of adds and enhances sort of uh, backpacking. It does. Back- it does. Yeah. And backpacking is so backpacking is so varied. I mean, people think of backpacking as through hiking, and it's just not that. <laughs> you know, there so many more people are are they're very they're very styles of backpacking and and people go for locations or views or they're interested in hiking into an area and base camping i mean it, it, you know through hiking kind of almost um homogenizes sort of the backpacking experience do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh, so i'm interested in exploring all those different things i mean and i'm interested in in helping people understand and also figuring out for myself what's the best gear for different circumstances, right? What are some of the skills that I have to develop and how does gear, com- you know, complement or uh, require extra workarounds, you know? So it's just sort of just delving into different areas and sort of, you know, exploring. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, I mean, people think of backpacking and maybe they think of the through hiker that's going through with very little weight um but when i've I've ran into through hikers right on some of the longer sections that i've done they really are kind of all over the board um i've seen people with extremely extremely light kits that are barely this barely much bigger than a little frameless day pack i've also seen people that have had um very big old school setups i've seen people that it's been there i saw a girl and the middle fork of the Gila. Um, the, there was two girls. Uh, one wa- had was her second time doing the CDT, and she ran into this girl in Silver City, and I guess they hit it off, and she talked her into coming with her and went to, like, a thrift store and bought a giant external frame with a big 
old bedroll and everything. I mean, the pack was practically as big as she was. Um, but there isn't necessarily a right way or wrong way um, to do it. You know, it's it's kind of whatever way works for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, so my specialty on the website on Section Hiker is, is backpacks. And uh, so I do most of the backpack releases because <laughs> I'm actually really interested in backpacks and but i i cover heavy backpacks and ultralight backpacks and i mean they're just they're different missions right and you need different gear and um so i'm always fascinated by the differences um and what works and what doesn't you know so take seek outside packs you know i'm i love seek outside packs i think they're fantastic uh, and just love the external frame system and uh, the fact that they can carry so much and they're relatively lightweight. And, and it's just, so I guess I'm a kind of a backpack nerd. I'm, I'm you know, kind of get into it just from a, how are these things built? How, why do they work so well? How would you use it to your best advantage? What kinds of trips are they good for? Um, but, you know, like, like you said, I mean, there are different kinds of, People have different kinds of objectives. People have different uh, amounts of money to spend, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. and there's no one size fits all. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I love, you know, I, I enjoy carrying a Kelty Trekker 65 sometimes. <laughs> it's sort of like, it just sort of depends what, what you're trying to do and what resources you have available and where you're going and, uh, there are all kinds of different ways. You know, we we focus a lot on lightweight gear, but I also do lots of heavyweight gear as well. Um, like I said, it just all depends on what you're trying to do. Seeing seeing how you really like backpacks, then how many backpacks do you own? Well, I try to get rid of them as quickly as I possibly <laughs> <Okay>. can. <laughs> you, you don't have a museum that you're uh, you're prepping for. I I have. Uh, you, you know, at any given time, there's somewhere between six and ten backpacks in my at my place. And um, uh, what I what I do with a lot of the gear that we get, uh, either buy or um, uh, get from manufacturers, is I give it away to the to the readers. Um, so on a quarterly basis, we usually get give away like twenty pieces of gear. Um, and so it's slightly used, you know. And but people don't mind that, and uh, it's all really high quality stuff. So, but but you know, I've got a couple packs that I keep around long term. Uh, ones from Seekus outside, a Uniweep uh, that Kevin made for me a while back, and um, uh, you know, I've got and I use them for different types of trips. You know, so I mean, I I kind of just. You know, I'm kind of, the kind of even though I have access to lots of different gear, I, there's gear that I really like to use and keep around for a long time. I generally like to. I've got a couple items that I just keep using year after year after year. You know, and some gear I've had for 15 years. Hmm. Is that you know, like kind of um, like? Is that like sleep but, system stuff, like sleeping bags, or is it you know, is it small stuff or big stuff? Uh, all uh, right across the board. I mean, I, you know, I've got, uh, you know, a hammock system that I like, uh, you know, and, and um, 
I'm just, uh, you know, sleep system stuff, um, you know, sleeping bags, you know, I got a nice feathered friends bag that I like to use, actually two of them, you know, and, and so, um, and I just keep, when I'm not reviewing gear, that's the stuff that I, I reach for. Really, really crosses the board, fishing rods. <laughs> I mean, is, is, is that hard? Um, I mean, not, I mean, obviously you do reviews and stuff, but you know, is, is there ever a time where you have to maybe go, you know, you're going to take a trip, you're like, oh, I got to take this sleeping bag to do a review on it. But man, I really want to take my feathered friend's bag. Uh, there, there, it is challenging. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, what I try to do is, uh, when I tell myself, this is a trip just for fun. This is for me. I'm just going to take the gear I want to take. You know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. there are work trips. And I try to separate them out. What I try to do is not take out too much gear at once. Um, and, you know, we, it, it takes a while to review a piece of gear. You know, you have to use it. <laughs> That's kind of the mantra on our website. Got to use the gear if you're going to review it. So, um, um, so it, 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 the good news is my wife is always like, when are you going to go pick another backpacking trip? <laughs> so, uh, she likes it when I go out, gives her some time alone. Um, so, uh, I get to go out pretty much every week. I mean, I, I probably do, I'm probably out like five days a week. Really? That's awesome. Uh, it's awesome. You know, some, sometimes they're just day long hikes, but I, I try, you know, during the warmer months when the snow's out, I try to get out at least every week for a backpacking trip. Just a couple days. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Um, so you end up, how many nights a year do you estimate that you probably end up out? I have no idea. Uh, uh, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, I don't know, something like that. Something like that. So, okay, it's hard to keep, uh, you have a lot of different gear that you cycle through. It's a little harder to probably keep everything um organized quite as well because you're always swapping out certain stuff to test for a review right um likewise i kind of have a little bit of the same issue because while i have what i would normally say use on a trip this time of year all the time sometimes i'm taking something else to test right which then right. Out some other stuff as well right um do you how much of a how weight conscious are you um personally or do you occasionally, like myself, I'm weight conscious, but I can go really close to very light and have way more comfort for like two more pounds or not, maybe not more comfort, but more durability, longevity, performance, you know, a sleeping bag that really will keep me warm to its temperature rating, things like that. Um, how do you, but sometimes I will just kind of to test myself, see how light I can go for a trip and be like, I'm just stripping everything down, super light. How do you work within that? Do you, do you um, try to go light or are you like, ah, I don't even really care? Um, I try to go light just because I'm getting older and um, uh, just slowing down a little bit. <laughs> um, not that old, but you know, but um I don't really pay that much attention to it. Um, uh, you know, I think 
in terms of sort of uh, it sort of depends on how much fishing equipment I bring generally. But you know, I usually carry about thirteen or fourteen pounds base weight, and then just whatever food and water I have to carry. But I don't really, I'm not really that focused on ultralight. And part of the reason it has to do with sort of environmental factors. Um, the White Mountains, you know, it can snow year round. <laughs> so cutting it close on insulation isn't always the best idea. So, um, you know, so I, I'm, I, I'm not crazy about ultralight. I mean, I actually was thinking about a trip I'm, I'm gearing up to take right now to see how wide I could go with a hammock setup. But in the end, it, it, it's not that, that important to me. Agreed. It snowed at my house last night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it snows. It snows. I mean, I I literally uh, live like five miles from Mount Washington, and it snows year round up there. <laughs> There's snow up there now. There's tons of snow up there, so you just have to, you know, uh, so hedge your bets a little bit. So, where do you think most consumers reside? Do you think that they? reside more to or mo most of the ones you deal do you think they reside more on the comfort security or more on the weight and maybe they go too light and they find that there's a rebound point that they sit in because it's kind of funny because you said you have your base weight of 13 14 pounds um uh -huh. i think when we talked to andrew skirka last week i told i said something like my base weight probably is 12 to 15. I think uh, Andrew Skirka probably mentioned his base weight was going to be between 10 and 15 pounds usually. Um, uh -huh. So that seems to be an area where a lot of a lot of people are residing. Um, so where do you think the consumers reside? Because I've I've ran into people on like I said they've been all over the all over the book on the trail the through hikers I've seen. Well, again, through hiking, you know. Uh, um, tends to take place in a very narrow time frame on well-defined uh, trails with well-defined uh, or well under reasonably well understood weather patterns right? right so you can you know uh, you know yeah I've got an ultralight backpacking ultralight backpacking in July is a snap <laughs> right <laughs> I mean you know it's 100 degrees and it's 100 percent humidity and um, so, but, uh, it's, it's when you kind of get off the beaten path that, uh, the variables become a little bit looser. So, um, but where do I think most people are? I think most people are, are, you know, in the 15 to 20 pound range for a base weight and probably a 30 pounds, maybe 35, uh, maximum, uh, with gear and supplies sort of depends on the trip. And, uh, you know, most people carry Osprey packs. I mean, <laughs> that's the way it is. And they, they're, you know, sort of interested in the balance of comfort and utility. And um, I think you can pare it down on a through hike or a section hike uh, because the variables are much more constrained. Simple as that. So, uh, but I think, I think, you know, what people are interested in is really the balance of comfort and utility and making sure they have the right stuff. I mean, you have to kind of get a little obsessive to really cut your weight. You take, you know, half an ounce of 
Aquamira or you take the two ounce bottles, that kind of stuff. <laughs> right? Remix it for a four day trip so you don't have to worry. You don't well, have to carry you know, two like, bottles. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, my first aid kit always contains the same amount of stuff more than I possibly need because I don't really feel like resupplying it every single time. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I just, I just want to have a bag that I throw up my pack and that's it. Same with all my emergency kit. You know, I've got a battery, I've got a, you know, an in-reach, I just throw it in my pack. I'm, I'm not worried about splitting hairs too much. It sort of depends what you're trying to do. Hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine because you're going out so often, that makes way more sense as well, right? Like, because you can just yeah. grab a bag and put it, put it in your pack or, or put it in a new pack that you're, that you're trying out. You don't have to repack certain things that you exactly. know you're probably going to bring anyways yeah exactly i literally i actually spend you know pretty much every hike i take i take a different backpack <laughs> and even if i'm rotating through my pack backpacks and it's literally just moving stuff sacks from one to another I, you know i have this internal checklist of what i'm packing but it's pretty straightforward you know it's mm -hmm. like okay fishing tackle bag bam you know i'll take these two rods bam you know that kind of thing yeah. And um, so it's pretty, pretty automatic, but it's, it sort of depends on, you know, again, everybody's going to be different. Everybody's objectives are different. Uh, that's what sort of makes it sort of interesting, uh, I think. And, and, you know, uh, the reality is, uh, you know, there aren't that many situations where you're really pushed to the edge, <laughs> except in spring or late fall. Um, so, you know, there is sort of a, you're not going to get in too many, you're not going to get in too much trouble um, uh, if you, if you leave something out, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you, if you cut a little close, you know, yeah. you, you don't have to be super, super warm if you can survive the night. Yeah, it seems like as your, as your base weight gets closer to 10 pounds, the more spreadsheets you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to just yeah, make sure that you have it all, right? Like you, I have seven matches that are two inches long, right? Like, you know, I mean, there's just so much detail that goes into getting close to 10 pounds, which, I mean, that's fine. I think it's really cool that people do that, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not against, I'm not against ultralight backpacking. I, I just, you know, I, you know, I think it's, yeah, the, the, maybe the more you do it, <laughs> the less important it becomes. And say, Trisha, you know, how is three or four pounds going to alter your, or even how how are eight ounces going to uh, alter your trip your trip all that much? I mean, it's the, the weight of a Snickers bar, right? Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> so, that Snickers bar would be really nice to have. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the whole base weight thing is kind of a myth anyway, because. Um, what really matters is the complete weight of your gear and kit, right? Not not the base weight, right? It's how much food, how much fuel, um, uh, how much water you have to carry. Those are the those are the things that really make a pack heavy, uh, not the base weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because anybody going to the desert where there's no water, your your overall weight is going to be just. I mean, it's like unmanageable, right? At some point, you yeah. got to carry gallons and gallons of water yeah if you have to carry you know uh two gallons of water 
who cares what your base weight is? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. When, I, when I did a part of the CDT, I did. I carried two things that were quite heavy. One was I carried the Guardian purifier because uh -huh. I knew that um, I was probably going to be getting water out of really suspect sources, right? And uh -huh. I figured, you know, take the Guardian. It, it'll, it's, it's as close to turning cow dung into water as there is, right? Um, yeah. Oh, coal in the diamonds, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And, and then water. I mean, there was there was one day that I, I think I carried 168 ounces of water or whatever um, for a while, you know, because it was just a yeah. giant dry section that I didn't really know if there was any water on. So. Yeah, no, I, it's absolutely prudent. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some hikes, a um, little uh, sort of more in late July, and I'm going to have to carry, you know, probably six liters of water. Um, you know, they're up above tree line. And... Um, you know, you just got to carry it. You got to suck it up and, and carry it. <laughs> you were like, one, one of the big issues is uh, we have a lot of these high huts in, um, in the, on the higher peaks in the whites. And they're all closed this year because of the pandemic. And so people are like, well, how do I get water? <laughs> well, you don't. <laughs> you got to suck it up and carry it up. Mm -hmm. You know, so people are all shocked at that. So it's just the way it is. That actually Not goes true. that goes into something that I think is kind of interesting. I saw a post on the Continental Divide Trail uh, uh -huh. uh, group, Facebook group. It was a couple days ago. And I guess there's a place north of Pie Town, and some of the through hikers were being um, very, how shall I say, the, the, the place is typically helped through hikers. But I guess they didn't want to this year because they have some health issues um, uh -huh. so they're dealing with. And through hikers were pretty much adamant that they help them with a sense of entitlement, right? Mm -hmm. And so that mm -hmm. sounds like a little bit of a sense of entitlement. Like I'm hiking in this wild place, but I want to stay in a hut and where's my water? Um, and I've seen, unfortunately... I'll say I've seen that uh, on the trail itself, right? Like people I've viewed maybe taking advantage of the niceness of trail angels and maybe viewing the route. Well, it's just that you're kind of loosely and hey, man, if you get rides from here to here, you still kind of loosely followed it. Um, and I get it. It's hike your own hike, right? But it seems a lot of that stuff seems to be um, counterintuitive to the adventure and the self-sustaining part of being in touch with your environment. It seems to me, to me, it doesn't really compute, right? Like I'm going out there. I want to be at one with nature. I want to see beautiful things. Um, peace, love, happiness. We're all happy in this world. And then, Hey, where's my water? You know, you owe me water. Or you owe me a ride because you said right. you were a real angel. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that that's uh, that that might. I mean, so that happens. Uh, uh, you know, I I can't say that um, I consider the Appalachian Trail a wilderness anymore, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. you're hiking from town to town or ride to ride. Um, and for me, 
you know, getting out is about challenging myself and overcoming adversity or, or my own doubts and fears. And, um, you know, I, I can see how um, people can maybe feel entitled or something like that, I guess. But, um, so I'm not answering your question really, but, but uh, I just honestly sort of avoid that whole scene <laughs> and do my own thing. That's kind of maybe why I, I do it. Um, but, but uh, you know, we have the same thing up here uh, with the huts. People uh, have really gotten used to it. And then if you take that crutch away, what, what happens? I mean, I think what's interesting is, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Townsend. He's a um, probably the one of the more experienced backpackers in the world. Uh, he's in, in Scotland, and uh, he hiked. Uh, he has a great book about hiking the PCT uh, in a heavy snow year, uh, where they would actually find their own water, <laughs> and uh, there were, it was all before Trail Angels. And that, that is the sort of thing that appeals to me is really using the map and, and um, finding natural water sources as opposed to the trail angels and all the apps that tell you exactly where to go. Mm. So, you know. Yeah, if I can bring that back to kind of why I enjoy, um, you know, backpack hunting, you know, or maybe uh -huh. same, same for you with uh, kind of your backcountry fly fishing stuff. There's places that you go to that you would never hike to, right? For any reason other than maybe to find an animal or a fish. Uh, uh -huh. and, and when you're doing that, there's definitely not a hut back there. Yeah, there's, exactly. there's no there's no trail angel sitting in in some deep canyon somewhere, being like, uh, "Here's your Gatorade and a Snickers bar." <laughs> um, yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll bring it back to Andrew. I mean, Andrew. Uh, Skorka, mm -hmm. yeah, he cut his teeth on hiking the AT, uh, but he really went after the adventure. And a lot of his trips, I, I actually used to guide for, for Andrew and the Whites. Um, it, a lot of his trips are about off-trail hiking and navigation and adventure, as opposed to just following the, the blazes, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, knowing Andrew, I think that's what appeals to him more than uh, just the sort of the, the race, <laughs> you know, to, to get done within the season on a, on a long trail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely experienced the uh, adventure. That Alaska Yukon was no joke. No joke, no joke, really. Um, I think it's crazy. <laughs> now, when, you, when you look at a map of that, you know, like I was looking at a map, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> You know, like just going around Alaska, like at some points he's super close to the Arctic Circle, maybe even above it. I can't remember, but I mean, he's just like all over, you know? Um, yeah. And there's, never, no trail. Never, there's no trail. Yeah, I've never traced his route, actually. But, uh, you know, he he's he's a very deliberate guy. He's a really smart guy. Um, so uh, I'm sure he planned that out pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, a, he's a real planner um, but it's a hell of an adventure and and you know I have to admire the people who, who hike up in Alaska it's pretty incredible it's an incredible place 
Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard about the, uh, what is it? What was Dave and Amy's um, one? The North American Odyssey? That's quite an adventure too. Yeah, I don't know that one. Don't know that one. Yeah, they basically started in Washington. And I'm going to give like the really quick thing of it. They started in Washington, sea kayaked up, then did a combination of canoeing and hiking to the Arctic Ocean and the Northwest Territories. And they dog sledded through in the winter for 900 miles. Um, they needed 5,000 pounds of food for that segment. For the dog <laughs> Talk about dog base bit. Yeah, yeah. Base. yeah. 5,000 pounds. <laughs> and then they followed a series of canoe routes um, down the East Coast, through the through Canada, down the East Coast, all the way to the Florida Keys. That's awesome. Yeah. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah, it was like, wow, that's uh, that took some planning. Um, so let's get on, let's uh, move to gear a little bit. Are there, uh-huh. are there any, um, in the gear world, are there things that you feel pieces of gear that are undervalued or underappreciated or certain things that you think maybe have too much uh, people are too obsessed about? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I think people are too obsessed about their inreaches right now um, and and their phones. <laughs> but then I'm kind of old school. I, I like topographic maps and compasses. But I, I think uh, in some ways, you know, carrying an emergency satellite communicator with you at all times, or a, even a cell phone, sort of diminishes your outdoor outdoor immersion somewhat. And that might be an old school point of view, but I've seen it with people I hike with when we're off trail. There's a lot of reliance on following the arrows uh, on your phone as opposed mm-hmm. to really figuring out what the land is telling what you know the land is telling you um so i I think that's kind of a slippery slope so that that'd be one area uh i think you know in the absence of those things in other words you 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 can hike without those things and have a perfectly good time and be perfectly safe (laughs) Mm -hmm. um they're nice crutches but uh, i think people are a little bit too obsessed with uh, satellite communication right now, um, and we see that up here in the whites. You know, there are rescues every every day, literally, uh, with search and rescue. And just because you have a, a satellite communicator doesn't know it doesn't mean you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, so, um, and people, I think, are too obsessed with uh, a little bit too obsessed with sort of uh, pack weights and whatnot. Um, again, when you're, you say you're a strong, yeah, I mean, you know, do you need a, a nine ounce backpack <laughs> or can you get by with a, you know, a two pound backpack? Um, so I don't know. I, I think, you know, gear comes and goes, but I, I think the electronics uh, are, are probably a, a point that I would say are, people are too obsessed with. I, I would agree and i'm probably guilty of it myself um, oh yeah because yeah. i use them sometimes i use them even to communicate with people at my shop and you haven't i don't think <laughs> you've gotten it yet dennis but occasionally you'll get you know you're likely to get a hey this is kevin's in reach uh, <laughs> and right. 
if you if you have a question, here's how you, you know what I mean. And yeah. then I also might be like, hey Dennis, I have an elk down. Um, um, do you have sure. to help me <laughs> um, as well? Yeah. But it does give my wife um, some confidence um, because I will tell you, uh, I think my son was. 13 or 12 or something and i went hiking and i was out of cell phone range and he was working on his bike and he did kind of a boneheaded move working on his bike cut himself was bleeding really bad couldn't get in touch with me because i was out of cell phone range so he ended up because we live in a rural location he was able to drive one of our cars on the back roads to the doctor um because you know where i should have been able to have been in contact with him as a dad you know so i feel a little luckily he's still safe you know he works for us now everything but you know it was something that so it gives me a little more freedom to have one as well if situations like that arise um but i i totally agree and they also in the search and rescue world aren't necessarily fail safe one of our early podcasts had Kevin Koprick on and he trains rescue, right? Um, right. And he trains it for rigging for rescue. And I used to be on the rescue team, but it's basically they do a lot of training with National Park Service and stuff like that. And with the inreaches, um, one of the things, wasn't it like when you first turn it on, oftentimes they can be off by as much as like quarter mile or a half mile or something like that? Um, yeah, I believe. And then you want it to keep sending signals because they'll be able to, but some, a lot of people will be like, oh, we need a rescue, turn it on, turn it off. And that really doesn't really give enough info to be like, well, okay, you're in this avalanche chute, right? And it, it gets you maybe onto the mountain, but not the avalanche chute. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I I, I carry an inReach and, uh, you know, I have a, Scheme set up with my wife. Uh, you know, I don't dispute that they're they're important, but people are always asking me, "What you know? I've got 350 bucks. What should I buy? <laughs> should I get an inReach?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, but what are you going to use it for?" I mean, I don't know. I carry one. I'm a hypocrite in that respect, and it gives my wife a lot of peace of mind. But I rarely, you know, use it in any capacity except just to say I'm okay. And, um, you know, I've certainly never used it in an emergency. Um, So, so. yeah, you're you're not using it to update your, uh, to post pictures to Instagram while you're out of cell service. The last last thing I want is for anyone to know where I am. (laughs) You know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea if people use them to, to, you know, to share locations and text their friends and all that stuff. Um, maybe they do. I don't know. That's certainly what they're trying to sell you on. Um, so uh, they're they're good to have. I mean, come back to to maybe uh, sort of GPS and and phone apps for a second, which is. Again, uh, and I can't stress how much how important it is to actually carry a physical map and be able to read it. Um, 
phone apps are great. I use them pretty frequently. They're great for planning. But in the field, you can't look at your phone and walk without falling on your face, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, literally. So uh, you, you need to be able to use probably a, a compass, which is something you can look at and walk, uh, and be able to read a topo. Um, so I think there's too much dependence on probably uh, Gaia or Gutbook or 1X and probably not enough on really knowing how to navigate the land. What about sight navigation? Uh, well, we can never see anything because we have trees, so I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a funny thing, right? Because it is definitely uh, geography dependent, you know, gr growing up in uh, northern Wisconsin, there's no high point, right? Yeah. Like, like exactly. that oak tree might be pretty high. Yeah, there is. The high right. point of Wisconsin is Tim's Hill. Tim's Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. 900 feet? 2,100 feet. Oh, sorry. My bad. Remember, <laughs> I used to be a peak beggar. <laughs> I mean, unless, I think unless you have high peaks, if you, you know, there's so much intervening lands between you and some destination and many smaller hills, you really still have to be able to navigate point to point, right? Mm -hmm. um it'd be it'd be one thing if you can sort of if you just have like you know uh a desert between you and the peak but generally there's there are landforms that you have to get around to get to some destination so i guess it's it's probably you know think of colorado i mean it's not like there's just uh, you know 10 miles of nothingness between you and your destination um they're going to be gorges and rivers and stuff like that so um yeah, I make the mistake that I sight navigate a lot, and I don't uh -huh. know. It isn't really, uh, it isn't really intentional. But over the years, I've just gotten used to looking around every few minutes, and I've realized that I build a map basically of oh, right. the, terrain, the terrain around me like that. Um, but I also know that when I get into areas that don't have necessarily the visual reminders then i have to say okay you're gonna to have to like really navigate now you can't just rely uh, on this no i think i misinterpreted what you meant by site navigation so what what i would almost call that i think is is um just being able to relate what's in the to on the topo to what the landforms are around you so mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I can do that really well. I can look at a map and sort of look around and go, oh, here we are, and we're going to walk, we're going to contour here and then go up this uh, ridge. And So I can do that. That's, I think, what you meant. So I actually think that's the essence of real navigation um, <laughs> is being able to do that. You can do it. You can actually do a lot of navigation without a compass or uh, a mapping app if you can actually, you know, relate the landforms uh, around you and you understand the pitfalls of maps <laughs> and map scale. Yeah, um, would you consider yeah. that just having, just having like a good sense of direction or, or more of an intuitive approach to it? Right? I or, or do you I, think that's come from years of reading maps? I think it's a learning skill. Uh, it, it, it took me a, probably a, you know four or five years of uh, off-trail navigation to really hone it. Um, 
but but now it, it can, sort of comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think for some reason it just comes natural over time. I know sometimes yeah. it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm going to bail down this hillside here, and there's going to be a mix of hills, and I'm going to aim to come out over this way. And right. it's just, you know, but I'm like, I have a pretty good idea that if I follow that mountain, it's kind of a bearing point, but I don't think I think about it in such a detailed thing, right? It just kind of comes from having done it a lot. And well, you just but it, yeah, but it, it sounds like you have, you know, I think it takes uh, just a fair amount of experience to know that, to have trust that there's a backstop, you know what I mean? You're gonna hit a, you're gonna hit uh, the bottom <laughs> of the right. hill or that there's a road down there, right? Or a stream. So you kind of, you, you can kind of look and go, I know, I'm gonna, I, I know I'm approximately here, right? Or I'm gonna be approximately here when I get down to the bottom of this thing. So, um, so I think that's experience. So what can we look forward to um, from Section Hiker in 2020? <laughs> Well, uh, um, I, I was actually, I was sort of thinking about that actually uh, today. Um, I think you're going to see, um, I'm going to be focusing on uh, so a lot of the same old stuff. We're doing, we're doing a big series on frequently asked questions uh, to really amp up the educational content on the website this year. And then uh, I've just started working on a um, kind of a uh, another guide guidebook uh, for uh, best day hikes in New Hampshire and Maine because uh, I, I have a, a while well, I have a, re, a an international audience I also have a regional audience that's going to be focused on uh, New England hiking so I'd like to do that thing one thing I'll mention about my guidebooks is they're all freely distributed <laughs> on the website you don't actually have to pay for them. And I do that uh, for a couple of reasons. One is uh, uh, people don't buy guidebooks anymore. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and I, I try to, um, because people who are reading guidebooks or looking for, for trip plans and, and interesting destinations tend to be um, newer in the game, right? Uh, maybe less familiar with an area. Uh, I like to um, put in sort of best practices uh, into that content, uh, sort of leave no trace oriented, um, uh, just to, to sort of uh, help preserve help preserve the area where I live. Um, the the Forest Service, God bless them, is uh, it does a yeoman's job, but but website communication is not their forte. <laughs> so <laughs> I try to try to help. You have the same problem out there. They're just their websites are awful. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I try to sort of uh, help help them along in this area a little bit. It is a beautiful area, and we want to keep it that way. Hmm. Um, if I can, if I can quick ask, what what uh-huh. maybe one of the like the most frequently asked question, right? That that people have oh, that you my... see. 
Yeah, you know that um, maybe on every backpack review, someone asks the same. You know, like like what would what would be kind of the top of the list of frequently asked questions for for you? Why would I buy this backpack and not this other backpack? Mm. So that they want you to make a decision for them. Well, I think I think you know I think uh, you know a lot of it has to do with not really understanding. Um, how you would use a backpack. It's, you know, kind of like, think of a backpack as a Swiss army knife, right? There's certain blades uh, or tools on that Swiss army knife that you're gonna use more than others. But unless you have a lot of experience backpacking or hiking, you won't necessarily know what those are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so what's the blade that I use the most on my Swiss army knife? It's the nail file. <laughs> You know, uh, mm -hmm. I was breaking my nails, and um, but and it's the kind of same kind of thing. They don't really know, you know, why would I get uh, a top lid versus a roll top, or why would I get, you know, a backpack with solid pockets, side pockets as opposed to mesh side pockets. And so I, I think a lot of it just has to do with lack of experience or exposure in using the tool. So it's hard for people to understand how they would use the tool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the biggest the biggest question that people have. And you know, for for Kevin, you and I would be like obvious, right? Listen, you want to get this pack, <laughs> but they don't really understand how much how much you know how much space do I need for a five day trip or a two day trip or how much mm -hmm. weight should I be able to carry? None of those things kind of. Uh, resonate with people because they don't know what to notice. So and that brings, so those, hmm, go ahead. That brings up a very interesting point because, okay, we're the manufacturer, right, of gear. We try to provide our best recommendations to people. We right. try to say, right. this is a three-day backpack. Some people lay it out and say, man, I can do seven days in the thing, right? Um, right. Other or like I barely can get a night out of it, right? Without strapping stuff onto it to, to make make it look like the climbers. Without putting out a cast iron pan on the outside. Right, right, exactly. And then um, you provide info via online to people, but in a different way, not, not from a vendor perspective, from your use perspective. And people inherently distrust vendors, right? Even though... I think we've done a fabulous job of trying to be as brutally honest with people as we can, but, but it is just a distrust, right? I mean, they always think the vendor is trying to get one over on them, right? In the name of sales. Um, right. And so they're looking to you a lot for that information instead of maybe coming to the vendor, but then there's also the retail location. Now the retail location also is not entirely an objective as well. Um, the retail location doesn't very likely may not want to sell you something that they don't carry at that store and they have right. their biases as well. Now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not throwing Dennis under the bus because Dennis was different when he worked in retail. hundred percent, hundred percent different. Yep. Cause he's like, go over to seek outside if you want a real backpack. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, so, I, I, I could. Yeah, I try to give them the context on section hiker. You know, that's really what I think is, uh, 
and we try to, to remain as vendor neutral as possible, right? The good and the bad. But I, I try to focus on how to use it. How to use it. Hmm. Or right, like what it's good for. Yeah. Like I, okay. think a lot, I think a lot of backpacks, this is just me. This might be me getting on a little soapbox right now. But I think a lot of backpacks are made to look desirable in the store. Oh, Not yeah. necessarily early perform well on the field you go in the store you're a little inexperienced and you're like oh look it's got a neat pocket thing and it's got this stretchy doohickey and if i take up mountaineering i can put this axy thing back here right and yeah. that, then it does this and uh, the, they told me it would do tricks in the store you know once i really got used to it but they take it out on a trail and they're like wow this thing is miserable or potentially. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I mean, given the number of channels that are out there now, that that's probably less the case, right? Because you can buy so many packs direct from manufacturers now, as opposed to REI. But but there's no doubt that that um, products are packaged for specific retail locations. I mean, a good, not, not, not necessarily a backpack, but a good example would be the Sawyer water filter. <laughs> okay, just a harp on one. The reason that the Sawyer Mini exists has nothing to do with function. It has to do with the fact that they can sell two packs at cash registers, right? Um, and it, it, it's a terrible water filter. I mean, it's slow and clogs up quickly, and you'd be much better off getting the big, fatter one. But it's just it's just packaged for retail, and I think that's true with backpacks. I mean, I think you're looking for you know packs that are purple in color and have lots of pockets, right? <laughs> or have heat moldable hip belts and all that stuff. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's people think. That's my What's that? Did, the heat moldable hip belts is my favorite. Um, but that, that kind of leads me into a question for you. What is the most useless feature of the backpack that you see used all the time? <laughs> God. Or, or, you know, it's like personal. I, I have one. I'll, I'll use one right away. I'll, I'll give you my example would be the, the fact that my top lid converts into a fanny pack. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one, actually. That's a good one. Yeah, that is pointless. That is pointless. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones, but I think that's a good one. You know, all, all those uh, Granite Gear did all that for a while, and Osprey does some of that. And, uh, mm -hmm. so can, I, can I pick on them? Can I pick on them again? How about the yeah. trekking pole holder? How about the trekking pole holder while you're wearing the backpack? I can tell you, I know a lot of people who really dig that. Okay. <laughs> really okay. dig that. Dang. And that and the, and the Gregory sunglass holder <laughs> are hot. Um, I never take my sunglasses off. Mm. Oh, it's, okay. Got it. Sunglasses holder. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a story on that Sawyer mini filter that you called out. Um, uh -huh. we had an employee, um, who worked primarily 
who I worked closely with. We'll just say that. So I don't want to narrow it down. And we went on a backpacking trip one time and he was like, um, Sawyer Mini, Sawyer Mini, Sawyer Mini, right? And I was like, dude, your mini is going to clog up by the end of the day. You know, it's going to be useless. <laughs> yeah, you should take the regular Sawyer. Nope, Sawyer Mini. Everyone on Backpacking White says Sawyer Mini. Everyone here says this, right? So we go out on this backpacking trip. It's in the desert. So it's kind of a silty creek, right? Yeah, really. Yeah. By the end of the day, he was using my regular Sawyer. It was like, okay. Exactly. It was like, it, it's, uh, I have to back flush this thing every, you know, half a cup of water practically. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and just for clarification too, for people out there, it'd be the Sawyer Mini versus the Sawyer Squeeze is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The micro was, was just introduced just, I don't know why, just so mm. they had another, just so they had another product. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so definitely yeah, that, the hollow bed. No, no, that definitely gets into the how light is too light. Well, it's too light if you have to backfish, backflush your filter three times a day. Exactly, exactly. And knowing what conditions, you know, why you want to bring a a uh, a bucket <laughs> with you on some of those trips, right? Mm -hmm. Let, Which... the, let the silt settle out. Yeah, the purpose, I think, should be that it's about reduction of effort while backpacking, right? Going light is about reducing your effort in, in a way that really, I mean, if you can make the same trade-off and it works just as well, why not do it, right? But the Mini is no replacement for the MSR Guardian, you know? Right. <laughs> I felt the Guardian was the least effort for as bad as that water was, right? And, you know, and also gave me the confidence. So I wasn't up at night thinking, man, I hope I don't, you know, get sick tomorrow or whatever. That was really suspicious, right? Um, likewise, I would say like going too light on a pack that makes you miserable is not a wise reduction of effort. It should be able to carry the load well. And sleep is when you recover, you need to be able to sleep relatively well as well. And so if you're like, well, I saved a bunch of weight and I have a eight ounce quilt and I just can only sleep half the night, that isn't a wise use of the weight savings because that's not going to be sustainable for very long. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, it, there are times when I love quilts, but uh, you know, when, when I really, when it gets cold, I go right to a sleeping bag. <laughs> It's just, it's also easier to deal with, you know, less time, less worry. Um, again, it just it, it kind of depends on what your objectives are and what the conditions are. Yeah, um, I think I mean, quilts are quilts are good for short trips, you know. I mean, in colder weather, maybe you're out one night, you have a shitty night, and that's it. But if you're out for multiple days, you might want to actually think again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> one one bad night versus seven bad nights in a row, right? Exactly, exactly. You, you know the best way to use a quilt on a cold weather trip, like a real cold weather trip? Put it in your sleeping bag for extra warmth. Absolutely, absolutely. Take up some of that dead air. Yeah, I put, I put a quilt in my sleeping bag in the Boundary Waters. It got down to yeah. negative eight. 
right that night and i had like a 15 degree bag but really it was like a 25 degree bag but when it had another 20 degree quilt padded inside i slept cozy yeah or put all your clothes in there or put dead leaves in there (laughs) there are all kinds of things you could do (laughs) um awesome phil so uh where can people find more about you? It's uh, just, I mean, list them off your website and then maybe social media stuff. Uh, people getting, get in touch with you. Yeah. At, the best way is through the website. There's, there's on the, on the upper right-hand corner of uh, the website is a link uh, is a photograph of me and a link to my contact form. And I answer all questions that are sent to me. So people are free to contact me. Uh, and ask a question. I'm happy to to uh, give anybody help that they need. Awesome, and that's uh, sectionhiker.com for people that's that want right. to check it out. Um, yep. And then you're you are on Facebook as well and Instagram. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all your favorite social media channels. Okay, they can track track you down at Section Hiker. Exactly, that's probably the best way. It all funnels back there. Awesome. Well, cool, man. I uh, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Appreciate the conversation. It's fun. Well, thank awesome, you. man. Yeah, take care. Um, happy, happy hiking and testing backpacks. Okay, I will. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Real quick before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying what you're hearing, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you.